DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a Thursday morning. And what a weird day this is. Does it feel bizarre to you? No jazz game to talk about. No jazz game to look forward to. No jazz game last night. No jazz game tonight. And I'm telling you right now, that's a beautiful thing. Sucks for the sports talk show host because, you know, every time we have a big game, it makes our job easier. So, all right, give me a big game. But the team needed the break. They needed the time off. Uh, a lot has been made of their schedule. It's more congested for everybody this year. They just they started later. They're trying to get games in, and they are going to, you know, the regular season, we don't know how long it's going to go, but it's going to go later. And the playoffs are going to go later than normal. But it's still congested. There are fewer off days. And guys get worn. And when you're, when you're a three-point shooting team, and you're tired, and your legs aren't there, either the shots are going to be short and hit the front of the rim, or you throw it at the rim with your arms, because you know you don't have your legs, and that makes the shot flat, and it kicks off the back of the rim, but it makes the target smaller. So you, you lose that, and that kind of loft and everything that makes you a really good shooter. So the Jazz need the downtime here. And the downside of playing Indiana so early, which made the Indiana game hard, was they got the flight in and got to bed at a normal time. You need days in the NBA where you're not on a plane and you don't play a game. That's when you start to, you know, when you're tired, when you start to feel, feel fresh again and, and have that extra little zip in your step and shoot the three better. And your legs are there. And so the Jazz did get that on Monday. And that's kind of the thing we didn't talk about. We tend to focus on, oh, this works against them. You never say, uh, here is the upside of that. What worked against them, because they had less rest going to Indiana, gave them more rest going into the Boston game. But now to have two days off with no flight and no game, I think the guys will feel good on uh, on Friday night. Now they go right back into a back-to-back Friday, Saturday. But that's everybody's life in the NBA. Everybody's playing these these congested schedules. But I do think having a couple days off here is a big deal for the Jazz. You know, they put a lot of minutes and uh, give them a chance to hit reset a little bit. Uh, what we do have coming up is some college basketball. Not a lot of college basketball, but some college basketball. Yak, we got you, Utah and Cal, right? A little bit of a grudge match here. I think Utah's better than Cal, except they lost to him at home. Oh! So, you got that. BYU's in the middle of a, of a stretch of not playing. The Aggies have had their games canceled. So, it's a little uh, it's a little weird out there, but we got a little, you know, we got a little something. But for the Jazz, I really think having nothing is is just a, it's a big benefit right now. It's a, it's a major plus. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, we got a couple things to hit. One, Tim Lacombe on the Jazz and how much they're winning and why that is and the things he's watching for and listening for that in his mind are the cues. Uh to why, why they are winning and why they're pulling this off. Um, And I also want to correct something. I just misspoke. I said the Utes play Cal tonight. It depends on if you call four o'clock nighttime. It's an early game, but for you Ute fans looking for the game, don't go looking for it at seven o'clock. You know, now they're not having fans. They're spreading games out for TV network. So four o'clock for the Utes and Cal, and that game is uh, is in Berkeley, and you can see it on the on the Pac-12 network. And I don't want to cheat Weber State either. Weber State has thrown themselves right in the middle of a crazy race in the big sky. They're at Montana, 5 o'clock today. All right, DJ and PK, got to take a break. When we come back, Tim Lacombe, Talking Jazz. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from Tim Lacombe. We had him late in yesterday's show, uh, so he's going to drop some last night references to the Jazz win over the Celtics. I can confirm Tim does know what day it is, so we do know that. Tim's got a lot of issues, but the day of the week he's usually very solid on. So here's Tim with PK and I on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Tim, good morning. Whether you want to or not, this is the guy you got. <laughs> ELC in the house. What's up, boys? <laughs> so, have you gotten your second win now in the Jazz season? Because there is something, you know, you think you're watching a lot of basketball, and you think, but when you have to have the old butt in the old seat for the pre-half and the post, no matter if the game is interesting or it's predictable, if it's close or it's lopsided, you get a whole different feel for the NBA season. It can wear people down. You getting your second win now? You sound pumped. Uh, no, I'm, st- I'm still actually looking for, I've ordered my second win on Amazon, but it's, it's a day late. Um, I, the doorbell rings. I think they're bringing my second wind, but hopefully it will come today. Well, when it comes today, I don't know that you even need it because I have all sorts of energy for this team because the way they're playing is just simply sensational. The thing that I like is that you just look at the last two games. You know, early last night, the shots weren't just dropping left and right. Pretty much the whole game against Indiana, three-pointers weren't necessarily dropping. So find ways to win. Can you speak to the what, – what am I looking for? Just to the hallmark of a team that finds ways to win when your number one way isn't necessarily working for you. Yeah, I think what's been um – fascinating about this season so far and I think DJ you hit it on the head um, I've never experienced an NBA season like this you know because I'm last year I kind of did some of the games and this year I'm doing every one of them so uh, you know for me being having been in the professional long time I, I noticed every little thing from the very beginning of the season and you know what I think the reason this team has finds different ways to win is I believe like they're all invested in winning. Um, I think this is a a team that says all the right things, and I hear all that you know from coaches and from the players. But what's really exciting to me is that that message and everything they talk about. When you watch that with your eyes, you watch the games. You see all of that. You see all of the, you know that they're intent on making the right basketball play that guys have committed to becoming better defenders. Um, You know, that, you know, the coaching staff, we're going to play faster and we're going to, we're going to tweak kind of what we do. And they certainly have done that. And so what's exciting to me is that all that stuff you mentioned, PK is definitely um, tangible. It's not ethereal. It's not stuff that, you know, a lot of times players and coaches will say stuff and then, the actual product on the court doesn't match anything that's being said. And I think that that's, to me, been more exciting than anything is that this plan was put in place uh, and the buy-in from the team seems to be 100%. And I think when you do that, you're not fixated on simply one way to win, but 
like you mentioned, finding ways to do that. So it seems like even when things are going wrong, and this is one of the things they say, but it's hard to do, even when things are going wrong, there seems to be this mix of, well, number one, they keep doing what they're doing. You know, you keep shooting threes, right? But there also seems to be this patience and like, hey, we can get rebounds or we can defend and lock guys down. So even when it's going wrong and they're down by six at Indiana, it still feels like they got this. And that level of confidence to get that is it's a really hard thing to do. But it seems like they've done it and they've got it. No, it's funny because I, I actually made that comment to Jake. As tough as that game was in Indiana and tough as a circumstance with three days in or excuse me, three games in three and a half days, obviously the early tip time for the Super Bowl. Um, and an Indiana team that really, that team and those guys have given the Jazz trouble. I think last year they beat the Jazz 25 in Indiana. Mm-hmm. So um, I had the same feeling, though. You know, the Jazz, there there was parts of the game where they just maybe weren't clicking, um, but their defense, their rebounding, their attention to detail really keep them in every game. And you know with this team that that spurt's coming. Um, and again, the, the nice thing about it, it doesn't have to come in any particular way. It doesn't have to be they may make a flurry of threes or they, they get the game out and transition a bunch. They can beat you in so many different ways, and it's really a couple of those things stacking up that start a run. And then once they go on a run and the confidence kicks in even more, you know, that's where, like last night with Boston, I knew it was, it was a kind of a nip-and-tuck close game but I knew the Jazz had their run in there. And it honestly, I felt really comfortable the entire game that they were going to find a way to win. How about old man Joe Ingles, man? Joe, if you're driving to work, you're one of the senior guys on the team, so I get to call you that. Or not to work, driving your kid to school. Uh, Conley's out, so he just plays one of his better, if not the best game of the season, man. That's quite the luxury to be able to call on him and have him deliver like that. Such a luxury. Uh, you know, I've talked about it. It's what makes this jazz team unique is, uh, you know, for years, our, our come from around here was a big guy gets the rebound and throws it out to Stockton or Darren Williams, and they dribble the ball up and they initiate offense. And, you know, you run great half court stuff and you screen hard and you play really fat, you know, play with a ton of energy and that gets you what you want. Um, to be able to have a couple of different guys that, you know, you can outlet the ball to or can bring it on their own, uh, heaven forbid, you know, start the break, which is really hard to, to defend against. Uh, but then to be able to put all those guys, and by those guys, they're not just guys. Like you mentioned, Joe Ingles is, he is phenomenal. Um, he may be one of the best guys in pick and roll. And his pace, people, we talk about pace as coaches all the time. And pace is kind of this, uh, ethereal word for you know really reading the situation and transition with pace you really want to have some fire in your step like we saw donovan late in the game last night take that thing all the way to the cup and score um but pace can also be in a ball screen where you know you you come off the ball screen you're in sync with the guy setting it um everything happens in synergy between the two of you you're reading your defender if your defender's behind you you keep them on their hip and what he's just he's just so good at reading the defense and you know to have Mike Conley out and to be able to bring a guy like that in to just run the show and just calm everything down 
ends up with six assists, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the thing I'll say about Joe, I think, you know, we talked a lot about Mike Conley being a little bit out of his comfort zone last year. And I think it really affected Joe, too. And I think that's where we saw Joe, you know, maybe trying to figure out how he fit, where the shots were coming from. I don't sense that at all this year. I think he's um, completely comfortable. And, like, last night, in my mind, there's a lot of reasons the Jazz won the game. But I think, PK, you're on to probably one of the biggest reasons. And, you know, Donovan was spectacular. Um, but Joe really, like Mike's done all year, kind of ran the show, held everything together. And I'm a huge fan of Joe. He loves fun playing the game. He doesn't take it all that too serious. Um, he understands bigger things. But, man, he's a competitive guy. And he really, really understands score and wants to win. Well, you can tell that with the trash talking because he gets going sometimes. Yeah. But I, I, mean, I want you to. Me, Lee, I got three of us playing. You know, <laughs> I, I, I would want... be in your grill. I want you to talk about the pace, and you must have, as a college coach, tried to coach up you know, freshmen and sophomores on this kind of stuff because you'll hear a team that loses and has a lot of turnovers say, oh, they sped us up. And you want to be fast and athletic and have that when you need it. But the best defensive players slow down. They know they have all the answers. And they're just waiting to read, like, what are you going to take away from me? Okay, if you take that, then I can go do this. Because they've got – are you doing dishes? <laughs> no, no, I'm just grabbing a Diet Coke out of the, okay, good. Out of the garage. <laughs> so they, they've got all the answers. And so the whole slow-mo Joe thing isn't because Joe is slow. If he were that slow, every pick and roll would be run at him, and the Jazz would be giving up 150 points. He's that slow because when you're on offense and you're really in command – you get to do that, and it makes you more dangerous. Can you kind of explain that and elaborate it and how you try to teach it to you know 19-year-olds? <laughs> and he's got well, it. You, you actually just did a great job because, really, that is the essence of it. Um, pace is not particularly the, the speed with which you play, but more the force. And the force is dictated, obviously, by what you see – um, your defender, obviously everything starts with your defender. Uh, your defender will give you cues. Um, when they, when you catch the ball and you, you just take a snapshot of, you know, who, who am I first and what are my strengths? And then what's my defender? You know, where is he and what's he doing? And a lot of times guys will close at a bad angle and open up the gate. And again, if you're tuned into all that stuff, you'll have a great understanding. And what's awesome this year about the Jazz is really all it takes to get uh, an offensive spurt started is pushing the ball in transition and breaking the paint or catching the ball on a skip, you know, starting with a ball screen, come off it, skip it, your guys reacting to how, you know, to you catching the ball. And when they close to you, that's where your opportunity to read and then pace dictates, hey, I'm going to be patient here uh, and use a ball screen or no, hey, this guy is completely out of position. I am going to take advantage of that left shoulder and I'm going to drive hard right through that straight line and I'm going to put pressure on the defense. And in a ball screen, um, you know, you need to let the guy get set. That's number one. You guys have, you know, you and the guy setting it have to be in an unbelievably good sync. And he has to be set. You've seen oftentimes when Rudy's not quite set, guy starts and moving pick. So it's an easy way to, to, 
to foul it up if you're too, you know, if you're too quick. But um, catch the ball, survey it, read your man, and then the next progression is read, you know, read the help. And what the Jazz have done so good is I think they've communicated and taught that so well that they're always figuring out a way to play on advantage. And last night, Boston switched everything. And we know that's been a little bit of a, a kryptonite deal with Rockets, you know, teams with length that can switch. And it really did kind of slow the Jazz down in the first half, but it didn't bog them down. And they got to, the, to halftime and they went in and made some adjustments. And they came out and absolutely torched it. And as David said last night, you know, most teams have a plan and it works fairly well for a bit. And then they got to pull the ripcord on the plan. And that's when you know you're playing great offense and you are using pace to your advantage. So over the course of the next two weeks, they got Milwaukee, Philadelphia, the Clippers twice. Uh, the Lakers, Miami's sort of a disappointment, but they've had all sorts of issues there. But nevertheless, the teams that I just looked at are just named all pretty good teams. So schedule beefs up. Uh, what are you expecting as far as this goes? It's funny. We talked about this on the pregame last night. And, you know, when you have an 11-game winning streak and you win 16 out of 17, isn't that where we're at right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I think the expectation is probably to win every game you play. I mean, that's, I've got a whole theory on expectation and how, uh, what I feel like the jazz are doing is they're now prepping for Milwaukee and they're figuring out ways to tweak their plan last time that worked well so that they, you know, Milwaukee has to come in here and re and adjust to what the jazz are doing. Um, my expectation is that this team is, right now one of the top you know three or four teams in the nba and you know record would say they're number one we all know that there's really good players out there but i think if the jazz can continue to keep it simple and i love that they've got a couple days off because i certainly needed one um i needed i can't believe i got two nights off in a row it's pretty awesome but these guys are going to thrive on this little break and my my thought is i think this comes at a great time because akin to like a video game the jazz have played you know about middle of the road they're probably 15th in strength of schedule um so they played really good teams and they played some teams that aren't considered great but this is an opportunity now to level up and this um this little stretch which they passed the first test last night i think they're in the right mindset where hey they're not looking at it being like we just said you know the bucks and the Heat and the Clippers twice. They're looking at this thing like the Bucks. You know, what do we have to do to be successful against the Bucks? And they roll it out there and play. And I think as long as they can keep it simple, I really do believe they can. I mean, my thought is let's win three or four at home and let's go down there and split in L.A. Uh, but understanding that this Jazz team has the, the capacity and that, you know, they could go in there and, do, and win them all. I wouldn't be totally shocked, but I think they go on some, another crazy run right here. It's just validation to everything that we've talked about to this point. So how much do players really, and you told your players, tune out the noise, tune out the noise, but how much do they tune it out? Because 
PK and I were sitting there before the Celtic game going, Donovan's going to go off. A, he's going to have a great stat line because he's a great player and he has a lot of great stat lines. But he gets B, to Shaq if he does. Right. Conley, yeah. Conley's out, so he knows, right? There's nobody to pick it up if I'm a little off, so I better not be a little off, right? And then three, it's TNT and Shaq's watching. That's right. I'm going to drop the hammer. And so sure enough... 36 points, and he's sticking multiple threes. And you know you're not supposed to when you're defended. If you have to jump over a guy to be open, you're not open. And that rule applies to 99% of the players, but it doesn't apply to the best. And so Donovan you know, jumps four feet in the air over a guy and sticks a three from 27 feet. I mean, it was ridiculous, and everybody went nuts, but he did it. So how much is he really tuning out the noise, and how much of that is BS? And he wanted to just light it up on TNT. Well, you can't in this day and age tune out all of the noise. Um, you know, obviously these guys like us uh, have access to more information than we know what to do with. Um, I think tuning out the noise is not so much a physical thing, but a mental thing. And I think there's sometimes the noise can motivate you uh, in like in the case of this, you know, the, the Shaq stuff. Um, and I just want to take an opportunity to thank Shaq for um, you know, looking out for us and, and coaching up Donovan because I thought that was sure admirable. Um, of course, uh, but, but I think that that's the key is I, I think you can get too entrenched in it and you be, you know, you start thinking that your worth somehow is, is defined by what people think. And that's certainly not the case. I think the piece to this, and again, I started with this, I'll I'll come back to it. I listen intently to everything that is said by this this team and the coaches, and whether it be Lagarza or Wells at halftime, um, Quinn before the game and after the game, and then the myriad of players that you get an opportunity to listen to. And the thing that I am tuning into, what I'm really trying to see is, are the words that are being spoken and the stuff that's transpiring on the floor, are they congruent? Because I'm seriously, it, it could be a funny um, exercise to sit and listen to a bunch of stuff that sports people say, and then you go watch their games and say, they're not even, they don't even sound like, they don't even look like the same thing. Where I think the Jazz are really clued into stuff here is I think the mental side of this thing is really solid. And Whatever they're doing with that, however they're focusing, keep it up because I think it's uh, it's definitely paying dividends. And this team is mature, you know, like Donovan's mature beyond its years, his years. But the mixture of exciting young guys and vets um, that have been down a road before that's ended in discouragement and want something a little bit different, I think that's what's motivating all this. And so. Yeah, you cannot turn out tune out the noise completely, but my thought is you can use that noise and some of the information that comes from it to your advantage. He's Tim Lacombe. He's on the Jazz Radio broadcast, and he is off until Friday. Woohoo! Then you get a back. And I'm not doing the dishes. <laughs> That's good. Once upon a time, a listener got a nickname because he actually was doing dishes while lighting this up. Well, I'm sure I've got nicknames um, that aren't shared with me, but uh, Timmy Tangent will stick with that. And we did good today staying on on task because PK was so quiet. Yeah, well, I mean, I do what I do. And you do it very well, sir. Thank you.
All right, Tim. Tim McComb. Tim, we will talk to you again next week. We'll hear you uh, Friday night. Sounds great. Thank you all for having me on. Have a great day. There's Tim Lacombe with PK and I. When we come back, we're going to switch gears. Back off the basketball talk, a little football with Aaron Roderick, offensive coordinator at BYU. They need a new starting quarterback. And who else might be coming into the program that could excite BYU fans? We'll get to that next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. It's time to welcome in BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. Aaron, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Well, Aaron, we had you on to find out what you think about the Jazz. No, we didn't. Oh, but it seems like that's the only thing we're talking about right now because they are. <laughs> In fact, I've been watching them a lot. It's, well, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, they they are crushing it. No, we did have you on to talk BYU football. And uh, you are now the offensive coordinator. You've been the offensive coordinator before. Uh, but now Jeff Grimes has moved on. So you are in charge of the Cougar offense. And there's so many questions. There are so many transitions to be made here. I guess, uh, number one, what do you take from this past year and think, we've got to hold on to X, whatever X is. And some of the personnel is changing. Obviously, the quarterback is. But this one thing we are going to hold on to. We have to make this part of our identity. It really works for us. Yeah, our identity was huge. We want to, we want to keep it, and that that identity was that you know we're a physical we're a physical team that can throw the ball down the field, and that's that is the most important thing that we need to maintain. And uh, that's, that was a great first question, really, because that's all we've been talking about. And uh, it, it's funny, uh, several of our players, offensive linemen in particular, approached me as we were. Uh, trying to hire an offensive line coach and had a, several of those guys say, whatever you do, let's make sure that with this hire that we maintain that identity. It was important to them. They, they, the guys get it. Grimey did a good job of pounding that into their heads about we're a physical team, we're, we're reliable guys, and we can throw the ball down the field anytime. And so that's what, that's what we want to maintain, and, and the way that we present that from week to week can change a little bit, but... Um, that, that 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 identity has to has to you know continue. So usually uh, a particular coordinator on his side of the ball, he has a significant say in who's being hired to coach under him, basically. And there's some type of connection. What was the connection with this guy here, Funk, that you brought in to bring him aboard at BYU? Uh, so I didn't actually know him, which you're right is rare. Most of the time, hires like this, you're hiring somebody you know at least a little bit. Um, I didn't actually know Coach Funk, but I had coached against him at three different schools. So he, he was the offensive line coach for Sonny Lubick at Colorado State, and we coached against them a couple times in my early days at Utah. And then he was Brady Hoke's O-line coach at San Diego State, so coached against him there a couple more times, and then also coached against him at Michigan. When we when we uh, play, when I was at Utah, we played Michigan a couple times, and he was, he was Brady Hoke's O-line coach there as well. And so I just 
from coaching against him over the years and seeing his teams play, I was just always impressed with the physicality that they played with and the toughness that they showed. And, of course, the respect I have for Sonny Lubick and Brady Hoke. I know those guys are they're going to have good good old line coaches. Uh, and then just a bunch of recommendations about, about Coach Funk from from number of people that I knew from the profession uh, and that Kalani knew as well. Just, just too many to name. A lot of, lot of people called about him and his behalf, and and then uh, spent a good, oh shoot, it was probably three weeks getting to know him, and just um, all the hours added up. I don't know how many hours added up of getting to know him, and just felt really comfortable with him and his background that he'd be a good fit here. So you and Kalani obviously both coached at the U, so you had Kyle Whittingham saying the same things over and over, the same things he says to the media over and over. Position coaches have got to recruit, so it's good that you've seen his teams play and you know how he coaches them up, but as far as a part of the country he can recruit in, contacts, his ability to recruit, what about that end of the equation? Because I, I can't imagine after working for the Kyle that long that you ignored that part of the equation. Yeah, you're right. He- and he's he's uh, such an experienced guy. He's recruited just about everywhere. Uh, he's a veteran coach. I mean, his his uh, his resume is pretty extensive, and uh, he's he's very familiar with. He's from he's from Colorado originally, but uh, Coach Funk has recruited uh, very effectively in all over Texas. Um, obviously, he knows California really well and Arizona. You know, all the western states, and uh, and Texas. I think he has a chance to pick up where. You know, we're kind of where we left off with Grimey and Eric Mateos both having Texas uh, connections. So, um, but yeah, he's a good recruiter and um, has a, you know, a big part of recruiting too is just being able to say, I've coached these guys. Look at my, look at all these players I coach. Look how many of these guys are in the NFL. He's got a long list of offensive linemen in the NFL or that have played in the NFL. So, I think that alone says a lot. You know, that gives you credibility anywhere when you go when you go recruit a player. So, from the fan and media perspective, spring ball takes on a whole other level of interest when there is a quarterback competition, and you guys have that, obviously. So we're going to yeah, be wondering too. who's <laughs> <laughs> okay this year, including you, you too. And yeah. so you've got uh, opportunity to work with these guys to figure out who it's going to be. And all of us are going to be looking at who's going to take the first snap. Now, I don't know necessarily that that's a big deal, but what is your plan of attack for the quarterback position going into spring ball? Well, it, first of all, it's going to be a challenge because it's hard to get enough reps. You know, for there's a finite number of plays in every practice, and so it, it, if you spread it around too much, then it's hard to find out anything about anyone. And so, but um, but I kind of have to do that because we've got some good players in the room. So we're going to have to. It's going to have to be a, a body of work that builds slowly. You know, over time, and so. You know, people are going to want answers after the first practice, how they look today, or the fifth practice even. And it's it's probably going to take a, a little bit of time to get each, have each guy build enough reps up with the first or second team offense um, where we can actually start, you know, maybe ranking them or making a decision. So early on, there won't be, you know, much of a ranking. Um, I, I think that Jaron and Baylor have both played in games for us and both, both played well in games for us, so... 
I would just I would probably you know say the first few days I would see those two guys probably getting the first crack at some things, but we have a uh, um, Jacob Conover and Soljay Mayava as well who who are really good players and deserve an opportunity. So that's, it's going to take a little time to sort it out, but. Um, you know, I've been through these things before, and they usually you can usually tell in time like who who deserves to get the first shot at it, you know, and then and then doing it in a game and sustaining that is is the second part. But the first part's just going to be putting those guys out there, and in you know, and the order the order that they go in will probably change from day to day, and the situations we put them in will change from day to day. They won't always be out there with the same lineup, or you know that. The drills change situationally each day, so one day might be a two-minute emphasis, another day might be a red zone emphasis, and just see how the guys react to those situations. And then, like I said, it, over time you start getting enough, a large enough body of work that you can start making some fair judgments. Aaron Rodder joined us, BYU offensive coordinator. So we've got one signing day, then we got a second signing day that's a little more on the ho hum side of things. But then the transfer portal it never ends. Our producer <laughs> Jake Hatch, aka Yak, is always updating us on the transfer portal and who's in and who's out. How many scholarships have? And I know, I know this is kind of a Kalani level decision too, and you, you yeah. probably have some input. But how many scholarships are the Cougars holding back? There must be some kind of formula, kind of an idea. We need old two or four or whatever the number is. And what positions are you thinking? If we see somebody here, that's kind of what we're looking at. Let's see if somebody pops up. What are you thinking? Well, I think we always keep one or Kalani always keeps one or two spots open, or at least tries to. Um, the, the transfer portal is not quite as big And uh, you know, I think a couple of obvious reasons. One is just the honor code thing is not for everyone. And so that that alone whittles down the pool a little bit. And then uh, our academics are pretty tough. The grad school situation here is not, not easy to get into grad school. And so... Um, we, it's not as simple for us as just looking at the portal and saying, "Oh, this guy's really good, and that guy's really good." And this, you know, we can't just do that. So we have to like actually know something about each one of those guys and know how how much of a chance do they have to get in here and and fit in here and all that stuff. That being said, like Tyson, no, everybody knows Tyson had a huge impact on our team two years ago. So anytime we have a chance at a guy like that, we're not going to pass up pass him up. And so we are actively uh you know watching the portal but i don't think you'll see you're not going to see like you know a great number of guys in and out every year with us as, as maybe maybe as, it's not as easy as it can be at other places and um but it's it's a factor for sure and then the, the answer the other part of your question is we're sort of always looking for uh those difference maker guys that, that play positions that maybe um you know that let's be honest that, that aren't as easy for us to recruit so like we you know we we should never have a shortage of big offensive linemen here we should never have a shortage of tight ends here um you know and then but shoot if you get a chance to find a corner that can play that can get into school here and or you know a big time playmaker of some kind then you got to take your shot and so we will always be aware of those guys, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a factor at BYU ever as it is at some places. 
So what did Conover do during this past season when he was on the team but didn't play that would allow him to compete for the starting job this season? Um, man, I'm glad you asked that. So he was not supposed to join us until January, like last month. Right. Um, but right. due to the pandemic, he came home from his mission early, and we had a we had a spot for him on the roster in fall camp. And so he joined us in the fall. He actually got there late. I mean, he, I think he got there a week into school had already started, or maybe uh, I can't even remember. It was late though, and um, so took a couple minutes, a couple weeks getting acclimated, and then he he just went over and started playing scout team quarterback. And he was uh, playing against our defense every day, and trying he and trying to you know run the other team's offense, and um, he just embraced the heck out of it. I mean, he he played the role. Every week, he was literally trying to be the other team's guy, that, that other team's quarterback, trying to run their offense. And he's a, he's a really good leader and took a lot of pride in it and running the scout team. And uh, every day, I would every week, I guess, not every day, every week I would get a comment from one of the defensive coaches about something good that he did over there or, hey, watch clip number 24 of team today. You've got to see this throw he made or stuff like that. It was, so it was really cool to see him. Um, but the, the positive was he was able to be in all of our quarterback meetings and traveled with the team for most of the games. So he learned the whole offense already and knows all you know knows everything that we're doing. And so now his starting point right now going into spring ball is way ahead of where he would have been had he just joined us in January. So the reason why I brought his name up from the start is he's he's mentally at a point where he should be able to compete with those veteran guys and um, had, he, had he just gotten here in January I probably wouldn't be quite as uh, eager about saying that but I, I think he'll he's a good player and he won a lot of games in high school and I think he'll be able to compete well and make this thing interesting Aaron, Rod, uh, Aaron Roderick join us right here BYU offensive coordinator uh, as you look at the schedule this year you're playing three Pac-12 schools the first three weeks and a lot of teams will you know get ahead on the scouting for that first quarter of the season but the Pac-12 played so little football I'm wondering how much you expect that they basically are going to have two new recruiting classes to kind of discover and how much that's an X factor in prepping for them yeah, you're right. It's that's a strange deal because we have watched all those games already of those teams, and you know, in, in Arizona's case, it's a whole new staff. So we're watching them just really learning who their players are, and then the defensive scheme. We're watching Michigan film because the defensive coordinator came from Michigan. So we're learning we're learning the scheme from Michigan film, and we're learning the players from Arizona film. But there's not a lot to go on there. And then, you know, of course, the other Pac-12 teams as well just didn't play that many games. And so you came and you, you, judge, you judge what you can from it. And you also, in the back of your mind, you, you kind of know, like, I think, I think some of this, I don't want to, I can't speak for any Pac-12 teams, but I think some of those teams actually treated it a little bit like a like an exhibition season, like, hey, let's develop players, let's find out about these guys. and and be ready for next year. You kind of get that feel as you watch some of the games. Um, it felt to me like some of the teams in the Pac-12 were subbing more than they normally would sub if the game was, if it was a, you know, a, a game where you're playing for a Pac-12 
you know, your, your Pac-12 championship or whatever. It felt that way to me. I can't say that for sure, but it, seemed, it sure seemed like all the teams I watched in the Pac-12 were playing a lot of different players and subbing and, and, and getting a lot of different combinations of players on the field. And um, I, I could be wrong about that, but it, it appeared that way. So, um, but there were there's enough there. There's, there's enough good stuff to, to go by, and we'll, we'll have a good plan for those teams. And most of them will get a game or two on them next year as well. So, other than Arizona, you get at least one or two games on these other guys. So, so I want to ask you about Baylor Romney and Jaron Hall. Uh, first, speak about Hall as far as his health. Is he healthy? And then, uh, listening to you, even though Romney was number two last year, that doesn't automatically mean he's number one this year. Is that accurate? Um, yeah. So, first of all, about Jaron, he is healthy. Um, and he's been doing everything with the team. He's running full speed doing all the clean workouts, he's throwing with the receivers and tight ends, um, and, and he's feeling good, and that's that's good. And he's decided not to play baseball this spring, which, um, you know, I, I always was very supportive of him playing baseball, and I, I love baseball, um, but it did take a toll on him. It was, it's, uh, I think that is underestimated how much, how taxing that was on his health, and going back and forth and just the workouts with both teams and the practices and he would he would literally run from spring practice straight over to baseball and you're talking about six hour days seven hour days just a bit football and baseball not to mention his academics and stuff so um i think he's gonna benefit this year from focusing on one sport even though i think in the past baseball made him a better football player this is a good time for him to get healthy uh, and then Baylor, yeah, he was number two last year, and there's no guarantees that that means he's number one, but Baylor's a good player. And I have not forgotten, and nobody's forgotten in our building, that we've won some big games with him. And that he, you know, it's easy to overlook him because he's just a, kind of an unassuming guy, but um, nothing really rattles him. And this this situation won't rattle him either. He'll He's a steady guy, and he'll go out there and, and play well every day, and he's he's um, a really competitive kid, and he's an accurate thrower. So he does have a great chance to be our QB. But um, the answer to your question, though, is no. There's no guarantees. Um, just because he was number two last year, we're going to let everybody let everybody compete. And um, but Baylor did, you know, another overlooked thing was he did play well for us last year in the games he got in. Some, you know, a lot of times we were up and stuff, but shoot, he'd come in and we'd just keep rolling along. And so we've got some good players to, to work with. It's going to be a really tough tough job for me. BYU Offense Coordinator Aaron Roderick joining us. Uh, always curious if there's someone outside the program who's going to parachute in right away and become an impact guy. People may not know his name now, but by game two, three, or four, they're absolutely going to know his name. And, of course, in the case of BYU, you have so many return missionaries, but also any recruits or transfers. Somebody off the radar who's going to make an immediate impact? Well, uh, Dallin Holker comes home from his mission in a couple months, and he had some big games for us. He played really well, and, and he played well in the big games. I mean, he played well against Wisconsin. He played well in Utah. Just he, uh, was not, he, he was not afraid of the moment as a, as a true freshman. Showed a lot of ability. We're excited to get him back. We're pretty deep at tight end, but 
he's a he's a really good player and and already well, he would be one that would kind of be easy to forget about. He's been away for two years, and then uh, there's a kid named Chase Roberts that's a wide receiver from American Fork that has not played for us yet. So I don't want to put too high expectations on him. Uh, he's coming home shortly here too in a month or two. Um, and you know, he hasn't played at all, and I don't know what kind of shape he's going to be in. But he was a guy that uh, was recruited by a lot of people, Pac-12 schools, and we were at the time when we got him, we felt really fortunate. Like, okay, this is it's the time when we got him. The program was a little down, and he was a big, big get. And so, um, again, I, I don't know what his impact will be this season, but I know he's he's got a really bright future and a really, really high ceiling. He's a big, fast guy that. And like I said, was recruited by a lot of people, and so can't wait to see what happens with him in the future. Well, I don't know that I expect the same type of season as last year, this upcoming season, but something is terribly wrong if you don't win at least 10 games. <laughs> hey, man, I've been hearing that for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well, uh, well played, Aaron. <laughs> All yeah. right, Aaron Roderick, BYU Offensive Coordinator. Aaron, we appreciate a few minutes in the offseason. Thanks for joining us, and we're all looking forward to spring ball. Thanks for having me, guys. There's BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. A little comedy on the way out the door. Yeah, I've heard that. I think he was referring – well, I think he has heard that about BYU this coming season. They definitely want to keep it going. Uh, they don't want to come off a big year and go 7-6 and six and lose the momentum. Uh, so they want to have another big year. Uh, but I think it's also referencing they might have heard that a time or two at Utah. You know, maybe a time or two. Uh, if they'd won 10 or more 11 games, more of those seasons at Utah, you might still be at Utah. But uh, just a passing reference from A-Rod there. Very good. Quick on his feet. All right, when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines coming up. Stay with us.